Well, greetings in the Master's name. That song started out saying something about longing. That's a good position to be in, longing. Um, some, uh, this sermon this morning be a little different, maybe in, a, in one way. The text will be a song. Uh, I guess we could say that. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we sang this song, uh, number 367, in the church hymnal. So you might want to turn to that. And kind of got me thinking uh, the words. And um, so um, I want to look, uh, kind of use that this morning. This song, Oh, for a Closer Walk with God, and uh, by Cowper. And uh, just reading a little bit of hymn history here. Uh, if you uh, then we'll look, we'll look at these verses. But uh, it says about these lines, Cowper wrote to his aunt. I began to compose them yesterday morning before daybreak, but I fell asleep at the end of the first two lines. When I waked again, the third and fourth verses were whispered to my heart in a way I've often experienced. Now, in the in the, in our songbook, we have four verses. Um, oh, for a closer walk with God, a calm and heavenly frame, a light to shine upon the road that leads me to the Lamb. Where is, and this verse, this is one that kind of got me thinking the other Sunday, uh, and what's it saying, and how tr how much truth is it, and sometimes people object to this verse, this, uh, this stanza. Where is the blessedness I knew when first I saw the Lord? Where is the soul-refreshing view of Jesus and his word? And then we have these other two verses, the dearest idol I have known, whatever that idol be, help me that idol to dethrone and worship only thee, so shall my walk be close with God, calm and serene my frame, so pure light shall mark the road that leads me to the Lamb. But when he said, um, when I awake, the third and fourth verses were whispered to my heart, uh, there's two verses at least that I found that aren't in our hymnal. What I found was six verses, and so I'm not sure whether they were left out because probably just for space, but um, this is what those two verses say. What peaceful hours I once enjoyed, how sweet their memories still, but they have left an aching void the world can never fill. Return, O holy dove, return, sweet messenger of rest. I hate the sins that made thee mourn and drove thee from my breast. Now, a little bit more about Cowper. William Cowper, the author of this hymn, experienced a number of tragic events in his life, beginning with the death of his mother when he was six years old, and he suffered from depression all his life. Born the son of an Anglican clergyman, Cowper studied for the law, but was so intimidated at the prospect of the law exam that he attempted suicide. The story is told that Cowper determined to commit suicide by drowning. He called a taxi to take him to the place on the river where he had determined to do the deed. But the taxi driver couldn't find it and eventually returned Cowper to his home. It seems possible that the driver sensed something amiss and drove aimlessly for a while as a way of thwarting Cowper's plan. It also seems possible that God intervened to save Cowper, perhaps using an incompetent driver as a saving grace. Cowper was institutionalized uh, in a mental asylum for a time. Upon his release, he went to church where he met the Reverend Morley Unwin and his wife Mary. The Unwins took Cowper under their wing, and Cowper lived with them for more than two decades. When Reverend Unwin fell from a horse and was killed, John Newton, best known as the author of the hymn Amazing Grace, came to the Unwin home to pay his respects. 
he persuaded Cowper and Mrs. Unwin to move to Olney, where Newton served as the pastor of a church. Then Mary Unwin became seriously ill, and it appeared that she would die. Cowper began to experience severe depression again, because Mary had been a mother figure to him and his best friend. That crisis inspired him to write the verse for oh, for a closer walk with God, verse that comforted him in his distress. Fortunately, Mary recovered from her illness. Cowper, who had written poetry for most of his life, worked with Newton on a collection of hymns that they entitled Olney Hymns. That collection included 280 of Newton's hymns and 68 of Cowper's hymns, including this one. Well, that was a little bit of hymn history there. Uh, looking at, just looking at the uh, phrases here and uh, some verses that came to my mind. Oh, for a closer walk with God. A closer walk with God. And I was thinking, well, in Scripture, what do we have about walking closely with God? And I thought about Enoch. Enoch. It says, Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. You know, you read there in Genesis, uh, that's Genesis 5, and how, you know, they lived for hundreds of years and so on. Well, Enoch, I think he was a young fellow when he left. He was only 300 and some. Um, but um, so he just, you know, he just... He didn't die. He just went. Uh, but he walked with God. He walked with God. That must have been some special walk that God, he walked so close with God that God just took him. And the verse says he had this testimony that he pleased God. And he couldn't have a better testimony than that. He had this testimony that he pleased God. And so, actually, as we go down through this song and think about some things, um, that, that's kind of a measuring stick. Is everything I do please God? That's a pretty good measuring stick. Uh, and thinking about walking, you know, we had had some sermons on First John chapter 1, verse 7 says, If we walk in a light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, and I was talking about Christ. So that, that's, um, that's a close walk with God. And then um, a calm and heavenly frame. A calm and heavenly frame. And this age, this age of... Um, Hurry and scurry. To have a calm and heavenly frame. And I think that frame, frame of mind. And uh, so uh, Isaiah 32, 7 was a verse that uh, found relation to that. Isaiah 32, 7, 17. Isaiah 32, 17. And the work of righteousness shall be peace. And the effect of righteousness, quietness and assurance forever. Now that sounds like a calm and heavenly frame. Quietness and assurance forever. And it says it's the effect of righteousness. Righteousness in our day and age isn't speaking in general, society in general, 
isn't a high priority. But that is what lead, that's what yields a calm and heavenly frame. And then uh, perhaps somebody can quote the other. See, there's another in Isaiah 26.3. Anybody quote 26.3? Uh, when I went through this scripture memory program many years ago, it says you learn a phrase, tack the reference to it. Learn a phrase. Every phrase in the verse, you tack the reference to it so that you have the reference and the verse connected. We often can say a verse and we know the verse, but then if somebody just gives you the reference, you don't know it. You know this verse, but you maybe don't connect it with the reference. Anybody know Isaiah 26.3? Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. And so that, that perfect peace, that mind, that calm and heavenly frame. Uh, thinking about righteousness there, uh, talks about there in Isaiah 32. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. So there, that feel, that that fulfillment, a life that's meaningful, a life that's fulfilling, that maybe related to common heavenly frame too. And then it says, a light to shine upon the road that leads me to the Lamb, leads me to the Lamb. So, and uh, right now I'm reading some in Revelation, and Revelation has a number of references to the Lamb. But uh, John the Baptist introducing his disciples to Christ said, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Well, then this second verse, Where is the blessedness I knew when first I saw the Lord? Where's the soul-refreshing view of Jesus and his word? And I don't think there's anything wrong with that verse. Because that's so often a reality. And the scripture talks about it. Uh, the message to the church at Revelation, he, he commended them for a lot of good things, a lot of um, efforts and... Um, I think pretty straight doctrine and so on. But he said, you've lost your first love. And so that's not such a foreign occurrence. You've lost your first love. See, I think that one song we just sing said something, had a, re had a reference to that. I forget uh, exactly how the words were. And then... And then the message to the last church, uh, the seventh, seventh church at Laodicea, they were lukewarm. He said, I wish you were hot or cold. So they're, they're, they had not maintained their first love either. If they had maintained their first love, they'd have been hot. So this thing of maintaining your first love is, is, is an issue. Um, and then uh, in studying for this, uh, and I'm not sure how, I, I, I don't remember how I found all these verses, but the verse I found to go along with this was um, uh, the Lord talking to the children of Israel through Jeremiah. And he said, Go and cry in the ears of Jerusalem, saying, Thus saith the Lord, I remember thee, the kindness of thy youth, the love of thine espousals, when thou wentest after me in the wilderness in a land that was not known. 
Israel was holiness unto the Lord, and the first fruits of increase. All that devour him shall offend. Evil shall come upon them, saith the Lord. Hear ye the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the families of the house of Israel. Thus saith the Lord, What iniquity have your fathers found in me, that they have gone far from me, and have walked after vanity, and are become vain? And so he says, you know, the Lord says, you know, your first love, you don't have it anymore, you departed. So that happens. And then Jesus said, um, because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. It happens. So again, I say I don't think that that uh, that stands is out of order. And another song I thought about, and I don't know, see if we sang that one recently or not. Uh, it's it, it has some. It's four o two, four o two. Lead us, O Father, in the paths of peace. And I want to look at that one a little bit too. Uh, when I looked up that that hymn. Uh, it, uh, it said, a hymn on the journey of life, and that the author actually entitled it Prayer for Guidance, which uh, you can see that. And here we just have the titles, the first words. But uh, it has some sentiments that are similar to the, um, to the oh, for a closer walk with God. It says, lead us, O Father, in the paths of peace. Without thy guiding hand we go astray. A doubts of Paul, sorrows still increase. Lead us through Christ, the true and living way. And so to, uh, there again, walk with God and his guiding hand. But then the second verse says, lead us in the paths of truth. And we've been talking about truth uh, recently in the message as well as, the, as the, um, the lesson this morning. Unhelped by thee in arrow's maze we grope. While passion stains and folly dims our youth. And age comes on uncheered by faith and hope. Without God's guidance, without, if we're not walking with him, but here it says, while passion stains and folly dims our youth. Um, I suppose we can look back on our adolescent years and realize there was some folly there. Um, we, we mature. So if we mature, that means at one point we were immature and, um, and did some foolish things. And that's where parents come in to uh, help us to go. They say boys will be boys, you know, and I suppose girls will be girls too. Um, but um, the goal is not for a boy to remain a boy and a girl remain a girl. The goal is for them to become men and women. And so parents, uh, parents help help in that, and 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 uh, children should be, even though they don't realize that they should be that. They don't realize at the time how, how much the need is, but anyway, they should be thankful for parents. Um, I uh, and their guidance. You know, this thing, while passion stains and folly dims are used, and I thought about what it says in Ecclesiastes, uh, it's kind of like, I, 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 uh, maybe I don't, uh, maybe, maybe I don't read, read this exactly, 
But what it says to me is, he says, Rejoice, O young man, in thy youth, and let thy heart cheer thee in the days of thy youth, and walk in the ways of thine heart and the sight of thine eyes. But know thou that for all these things God will bring thee into judgment. Sounds like it's not very commendable. So he says, you know, do your thing, but there's going to be consequences. Therefore, remove sorrow from thy heart and put away evil from thy flesh, for childhood and youth are vanity. Remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth, while the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. And then that last chapter is a word picture, tremendous word picture of growing old. Um, but, uh, but see here, the verse says, an age comes on uncheered by faith and hope. Well, now, if a person lets their passions rule them when they're young, that's what happens when you get old. But uh, um, passion stains and folly dims our youth. Now, I'm not saying that what, I, what I'm about to read here is um, necessarily a, a, a life stain, but I think it illustrates the, sometimes the passion and the folly. And um, this was um, something I ran across uh, an article entitled Lessons in Mischief from the Eastern Mennonite High School Class of 1959. Now, in 1959, um, well, back in those days, there were dorm students for the high school, uh, Eastern Mennonite High School. People would come in from other states to go to high school there. And so these were some, um, actually this was in a, a, a setting where there was a number of people involved, and some of them were recounting tales. And uh, so uh, this one student says, uh, you remember the spies? And they all laugh. Uh, the spies were college kids. Now, see, this is the high school class. We didn't know who they were. College kids were designated spies, so when you were in the dorm in the social room, you never knew who was watching you. So, we, so you tried to sit there with your hands under the table so you could hold hands with the boyfriend. We did that a lot. I never got caught, but it's not what, it's not that we never held hands. And then um, one day, I lived in the dorm. My boyfriend had a sister that lived down close to where the seminary is now. They wanted us to come for supper, and we had to get permission from the deans to go walk from the dorm there because it was dark, and that was almost a no-no. They didn't want to let us go. But boyfriend at that time was very conservative. He wore a plain suit and the dean liked him, laughing. And I still remember her words, we're going to let you go, but you know we trust you, more laughter. Little did they know, laughter. So that's some of the passion, uh, the folly, um, I think illustrated there. I... Uh, and it ends, that verse ends up, age comes on uncheered by faith and hope. I'm 70 now, and uh, I'm thankful I can look back, and I don't, uh, I don't have a lot of regrets. I wasn't perfect, and in fact, uh, not as perfect as some people. One time I was talking to some of Anna Maria's relatives, and uh, they were surprised that I wasn't as perfect as they thought I was. I didn't tell them everything. Uh, but, for instance, uh, when I was in eighth grade, um, we went to bed really early because uh, we got up early to do the chores, and my brother and I did most of the chores because my dad had a bad back. So we go to bed early, and uh, so I snuck out of the house and rode my bicycle over to Dayton to a school dance sponsored by the school, Turner Ashby, and, and um, 
Well, I wasn't there too long. I didn't know how to dance, so I got on my bicycle and went back home. But, um, you know, that's some of the folly of youth. Um, so, um, well, uh, verse 3 says, um, Lead us, O Father, in the paths of right. Blindly we stumble when we walk alone. But we don't have to walk alone, and uh, the Bible talks about that a good bit too. Pro I, was thinking, I was thinking about, well, Psalm 119 just talks about the guidance of the Word. Um, see, 105, Psalm 119, 105. Thy Word is a lamp unto my path and a light unto my feet. Uh, words a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So that goes back to that uh, verse, uh, first verse in 367, oh, for a closer walk with God, uh, a walk, uh, a light unto my path. And uh, then uh, Psalm, Psalm 19 is sort of a condensed version of Psalm 119. And uh, speaking of the word, The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing of the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. And uh, 1828 says, Thou wilt light my candle, the Lord my God will enlighten my darkness. That verse talked about walking in darkness, but it says God enlightens our darkness. Then the fourth verse of 402 says, um, Lead us, O Father, to the heavenly rest, however rough and steep the path may be. Through joy or sorrow, as thou deemest best, until our lives are perfected in thee. You know, Cowper, what did it say about Cowper? said he suffered depression most of his life, part of the time he was in an asylum. And the verse says, now, this is not Cowper's song here, 402, but it says, However rough and steep the path may be, the path may be rough and steep. And it's, um, it tends to be the rough places in life that refine us. It says, Until our lives are perfected in thee. So we. I don't, we don't um, we don't try to we don't we don't go looking for trouble, but it comes at times. Isaiah forty eight ten. Behold, I have refined thee, but not with silver. I have chosen thee in the furnace of affliction. And Peter said that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found into praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. So the trial of our faith, it refines us. Coming back to, oh, for a closer walk with God. Third verse says, the dearest idol I have known, whatever that idol be, help me that idol to dethrone and worship only thee. I was looking in a, uh, there's this little book that uh, one of Lester Showalter's boys put together one time. It's a concordance to the church hymnal. It's got every word of every song in the church hymnal. And so if you can think of a word or two in a song but can't think of the song, you can look in there. And, and so I was looking under the word idol just to see what all it had. And uh, I forget whether six or eight occurrences or maybe a few more, but see, three of them are right here. It, it listed all three of them because it lists every word. 
uh, maybe not some of the A and N and E, but uh, so the dearest idol I have known, whatever that idol be, help me that idol to dethrone and worship only thee. And I thought about the verses in Colossians 3 that say um, about seeking things above. Let's see, how does it say it exactly? If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. And that, that, that's related to idols, your affections. Um, and then um, uh, verse 5, I guess, I had yet two. Uh, mortify your members which are upon the earth and list the number there. Um, <clears throat> now, <clears throat> this is a, a little better um, a little better example here. Um, this is from um, uh, again from Eastern Mennonite School, but it, um, it says in the EMU archives digital collection we are fortunate to have correspondence from Mary Nafzinger a charter student at Eastern Mennonite School from Pigeon, Michigan, to her pen pal, Evan Miller, who was a CO in Camp Mead at the time. Here is what Mary and her roommate were doing to entertain themselves in the winter of 1918. It had a number of excerpts from her letters. <clears throat> at, present, <clears throat> at present, my roommate and I are engaging our spare moments and also others in watching a hyacinth bulb grow that I purchased in the 10 cent store. It seems almost miraculous how fast it grows. We have no idea what color it is going to be. And then the uh, comment was, the EMS of 1918 was certainly a different place to the EMU of today. It was smaller, more tight knit and moved at a slower pace. I think it's safe to say that students of today with numerous campus activities, extracurriculars, Wi-Fi, Netflix, could find many ways to occupy themselves other than watching plants grow. Um, <clears throat> and that might seem almost a little bit humorous, but um, the things we do today, do they lead us any closer to God than watching plants grow? Idols, idols, you know, an idol, we think of an idol as a graven image. And I had to think about that word image, image. Our image can very easily be an idol. Now, I'm thinking of image, first of all, in the intangible not the physical sense, but the intangible, like uh, our image, what people think of us, you know, our, our, our desire for power, our desire for position, our desire for influence, our reputation, and that can be an idol, very much so. And then physically, our image can be an idol, whether it's wanting to have the perfect figure, whether it's the uh, you know the, the 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 how they describe the uh, the men anyway you know the, you uh, do your exercises to try to look like some sort of he man um, 
or the way people doctor their appearance, you know. So our, our physical image can be an idol. Um, an idol is, uh, I think we could define an idol as anything Uh, between me and God, or maybe anything that lessens my love for God or interferes with my love for God. And and an idol, <clears throat> okay, <clears throat> of course an idol <clears throat> is always wrong, but not everything that becomes an idol is necessarily, a, uh, is necessarily wrong. In other words, um, the music I listen to, the music itself may not be necessarily wrong in itself. But if it if it comes between me and God or if it, it cools me or has the, an influence on me that, that interferes with my love for God, then it's an idol. And sports. I was kind of, sh- well, shocked. I, I don't know, maybe not shocked, surprised at least, um, I was speaking with a good friend one time. Um, well, a friend at least. I mean, I didn't really know him that well, but we were just talking. He was another school teacher. He was a married man with some children. And he said every Thursday evening he gets scared the guys and plays ball. And, well, I guess there's nothing wrong with it, but I thought for a young married man, you know, with family and so on, every Thursday evening play ball. Uh, I don't know. It just didn't strike me as quite the... Um, a high priority. And, uh, and of course, nowadays, okay, that's sports. Sports can easily, um, well, okay, I, I, I'll just, I'll just confess here. Uh, the JMU girls, uh, they were trying to get to the world softball tournament, and I was kind of following that, okay? And, you know, okay, I don't think there's any sin in that necessarily but those kind of you start to get drawn into something like that and and then you want to read about it and uh, and and you read article what what do they say about this game you know and so on um, and and it's it's just it's distracting it's spiritually distracting and so if it comes but if it interferes, with my pursuit of God, then it's an idol. Well, then, of course, it should be obvious that our phones can easily be an idol. I mean, there's nothing wrong with the phone. Now, mine's not as big as some of your all's. This is mine. But the um, um, Bible talks about redeeming the time. Redeeming the time. That's in Colossians 3. Redeeming the time. And how people are how how people are obsessed with their phones. I mean, you see people, I was, I was mowing out here yesterday, and people walking along on the sidewalk, and so many of them are just walking along like this. I mean, it's good. I just wouldn't want to walk look at your phone off of here, but um, it's just a wonder that they don't fall down. I mean, they're walking along with their... And you see it all the time in town, everywhere. Uh, I think 
they can be an idol in the sense they distract us or interfere with our focus on God. Well, I'm uh, going to read something here I got off of one site. Um, if we are honest with ourselves, idolatry is a topic which many modern Christians see as antiquated and outdated. When we hear the word idol today, many of us automatically picture a golden statue of a bull or calf. We tend to skim over passages that include references to idolatry because we see it as something that only Old Testament believers struggled with. But that is largely not the case. An idol is anything we want more than God. Anything we rely on more than God. Anything we look to for greater fulfillment than God. Idolatry is thus the hidden sin driving all other sins. A friend of mine often reminds me that the major sin areas in our lives evidence a deeper issue than just the symptoms, the sins, which externally manifest themselves. They often point to something which we do not believe about God at our core. Unbelief in a promise of God can lead us to put our trust, hope, or even our value in something other than Him to fill that void. The sobering fact is that what is that we actually believe the lie that whatever our sinful selves lust after is better than Christ. Our idols today can rear their heads in various forms. While we generally see them as disgraceful, evil passions, it is important to remember that idols can also be good things that we've made ultimate things. A few examples, which we often put our valiant confidence in, may include our children, our spouse, physical attractiveness, money, job, or even our friendships. We may look to money or comforts to fill a space which they cannot fill. All of these things are not inherently evil, but they become a problem when we begin to believe that they satisfy us more than God. Your goal as a believer is to know God better and to make Him known. Today, if you have made even the smallest gain in those areas, you have fulfilled your purpose. There is nothing more important than knowing loving and seeking to glorify your creator. This news should free you to know that your status, relational, social, vocational, or financial does not matter. Let me read that again. This news should free you to know that your status, relational, social, vocational, or financial does not matter. Your sole goal is to glorify God and to be obedient to him. So if you've done that, then you can rest in the fact that you've, you've accomplished your purpose for the day. And uh, I'm not going to take time to read this. I put it in your mailboxes. And those of you that don't uh, have, um, uh, have uh, uh, the mailbox mail here, uh, it's uh, if you've got Power Bible or if you've got Adam Clark, I just what I did, I pulled off of uh, what, what Matthew Henry said about Matthew 22, 37, where the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. What Matthew Henry says about that and what Adam Clark says about it. And what Adam Clark says about it is, is I don't know anybody that measures up to that. Uh, just some, He's got a number of points here about who loves God with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his strength, with all his mind. And um, he says, in a word, he who sees God in all things, thinks of him at all times, having his mind continually fixed upon God, acknowledging him in all his ways, who begins, continues, and ends all his thoughts, words, and works to the glory of his name. This is the person who loves God with all his heart, life, strength, and intellect. 
And that's just a little bit of what he said. Um, so read that and think about it. So those dearest idols, whatever that idol be, help me that idol to dethrone and worship only thee. So shall my walk be close with God. Calm and serene my frame. So pure light shall mark the road that leads me to the Lamb. 1 John 5.20 And we know that the Son of God is come and hath given us an understanding that we may know him that is true and we are in him that is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is a true God and eternal life. And then verse 21, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. Let's kneel for prayer.